Hey everybody, it's Craig Sigal here, and this is the Mental Toughness Trainer Podcast, where highly efficient mental strategies, actionable tools, and tactics will turn you into a consistently confident competitor or player. All right, let's do this. Good. Um, today, this week's um, topic to kind of um, bolster the training, um, started this in last night's coaching call, is I want to talk a little bit more about mental practice and visualization and um, whatever else you want to label it. I think mental practice or mental rehearsal is probably um, the most common term that we use for that. One thing um, um, that I've noticed when I'm teaching about this for athletes is that they try to do too much. They try to um, make it perfect. They try to do what somebody says um, you're, you have to use all your senses, you have to feel it, you have to see it, and you have to think it. And the whole thing gets really complex, and people kind of go, oh my goodness. And I put out a video uh, not too long ago. It was an interview with Tiger Woods. I don't know if you ever saw this, but basically um, he followed Jack Nicklaus, you know, who wrote the book, on visualization. He, t- he called it going to the movies. And Nicholas talked about seeing the shot forwards, backwards, slow motion, rerunning it multiple times before you go and hit your ball, right? And in living color. And the U.S. Olympic um, uh, Training Center says that You know, the more vividly you can imagine it, the more likely you'll stimulate the exact same nervous system reactions. And they've put people on electrodes and tested this with brain scans and computer scans and all this stuff. And and, and it can get really complicated for people. And coming back to the Tiger interview, he said, I tried to follow Jack's advice. He was his idol growing up. And, you know, Tiger wanted to be the greatest golfer, and so he's following the greatest golfer's advice at the time. And he also, Tiger at the time, when he was in his teens, was seeing his own mental trainer. His name was Jay Brunza. And he says, Jay, I just, when I try to do it, it's like things are all distorted and twisted, and I can't see it. And, and it's, like you said, it's a disaster. He didn't use those words, but the same kind of thing. And so he felt like a failure, and he felt like, oh, I can't do this. And then Jay Brunza said one simple little thing that kind of broke open the doors. He said, well, Tiger, then just feel it. So in my section there where I talk about self-visualization or mental rehearsal, you don't have to be visual in order to do it. And you don't have to do it any specific way that anybody's teaching you. When in my section there, I'm really careful to make it really permissive to allow you to do it your way. And I give you ideas and suggestions um, that I found through experience with all my clients to help make it more powerful. But you get to do whatever works for you. So I would suggest, my, my basic suggestion out of that whole speech would be to simplify would be if there is one little part of a swing or what you want to have happen with your swing that's worth rehearsing, 
then just do that. For example, I taught in my initial program, Break Aid Without Practice. Okay? I took this guy, to, this self-visualization or mental practice thing down to its core. So this is a golf ball. And what, I mean, the, this is what my brain likes to do. It likes to go down to the fine little point about what makes something happen. All right, so if that's a golf ball, and I want the golf ball to go this direction. And so I said, well, what makes that happen? Well, there's all kinds of movements that we do with the body that make that happen, right? And the final thing is a, a golf club squaring up or being perpendicular to that line of travel at the moment of impact, right? Right. Yeah. One other thing has to happen because you can have it perpendicular to the line of travel, but then if it's coming at this angle, then what happens? You're going to end up with a... Yes, that's right. If it's coming at this angle, so what has to happen has to continue from the moment of impact. It has to continue down this path for just a short period of time. I mean, literally only past the moment where the ball compresses on the face and then releases, right? So here I am reading all about um, Jack Nicklaus and visualization and even Tiger Woods feel it. And, and I'm exploring everybody who's ever written anything about mental rehearsal and visualization and they're all, in the golf world, they're all saying, and I'm using this for my golf game, but it applies to any sport, whether you're talking about making a beautiful kick turn or, you know, a perfect serve in the corner um, for Terry or, or whatever. I decide that all the golf um, gurus are saying, well, you want to visualize your shot and then going this way and that, and or like Tiger, feel a perfect swing. And I thought... You know, all that stuff sounds way too complex. So all I did to make my breakthrough in my golf game was I just visualized, since I am um, somewhat visual, I just imagined this. That's it. So when I'm standing up to the ball, I take like five seconds, maybe, tops, where I saw my club, and this was my real club setting up against the ball right before I'm about to hit it, right? Which golfers get that opportunity. And then before I actually hit, swung the, swung, swung the club, I imagined this club just moving forward two inches, perfectly perpendicular down this line. That's why I call it square and point it down the line. That's it. So I did that for five seconds probably less than that, just a, a thought, a quick thought about it. I literally imagined it, and I don't care what my body was going to do. I don't care how anything else is going to happen. As long as this happens, the, I knew the ball was going to go straight. So you see, I, I simplified it down to something really small and easy to digest and focus on because isn't it easier to focus on something for a very short period of time rather than a long period of time? Yeah. yeah, it's more effective to think of one teeny little thing than it is all these things. And so I think that's my biggest message out of all um, that whole section there. 
So, like, let's go to tennis since we got Terry. Terry, what would be something really small? And it could be, you know, a movement in your serve that when it's out of whack, when it's not the way you want to, throws your whole serve off. But when it is lined up or it is the way you want it, boom, your serves go off just the way you want it. You got anything like that? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, my, my, my serve is a bit of a, it's not good, so it's probably not the thing to talk about, but my return is. So um, I think a little bit of this is a separation of the visualization of the thing you want to do. That's great, however you want to do it. Um, but then you kind of need to separate that from when you start the thing itself. And that's more about a routine and allowing your body to do the thing that you've trained it to do. So for example, I might think about, you know, a, a fluent backhand or fluent forehand before I go to return. But at the point at which I'm getting ready to return, I'll get in my ready stance and then I will focus on the ball that's about to be hit by my opponent's serve. And at that point, I'm trying to switch off everything mentally. I'm just going to focus on the ball. It's too late to be thinking about technique or whatever else at that stage. I've got to allow it to happen. You, you see what I mean? I do. And then, I... And then, you, then you play the point out. That's fine. And then you go across to your next point, and by all means, Visualize a positive forehand or a positive backhand in the way that you want to do, but just as you're about to do it, switch off again. Right. That, that's the kind of routine I, I, I try and do with my returns, and that that works well for me. And obviously what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to automate the return as much as possible. I, you know, it's all got to happen so quickly. I, I need to be thinking about it as little as possible. Absolutely. So I'm guessing, I could be wrong, you tell me, I'm guessing that you, you have really good awareness of what you just told me and you've thought about this for a long time and you've come to the conclusion this is why you're good at this part of the game because you've kind of parsed it out, you've taken a look at it, you go, oh, this is what I do well and you've thought about it, maybe not in official mental rehearsal but you've thought about it a number of times. So, yes. so you've reinforced what you do well, and that's great. Yes. I want you to transfer that ability over to fixing what isn't working so well, and that if that's your serve. So, part of the problem here, Craig, is uh, I don't know if this is related to. Sorry, I, don't, I forget the name of the other guy who um, who put forward his view. I I feel. I can feel, to come back to what you said, I can feel the return. In fact, I can feel everything in tennis very, very well. Beautiful. I think. Other than my serve, which I struggle to feel and therefore I struggle to visualize and it's very difficult for me to break it down into something simple, meaningful that is repeatable. Okay. Whereas with my return, I can do it. So even if I hit a terrible return, no problem. Yep. That's a bad return. I'm over it immediately, and I'm on to the next point. There's nothing to stop me getting a good return next time out. You see what I mean? I do. Why do you? Th what do you think is the difference? I think partly it's a physical problem with the serve. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's mixed in mental and physical, and clearly I haven't been able to sort it out. And I struggle with a visualization, and I struggle with a routine. Okay. Uh, well, that's why you're here, for me to help you figure this out. That's exactly what we're doing here. So yeah. let me ask you, what is the, you say you can feel uh, very well on the returns, but you don't feel on the serves. I, uh, you know, if I, if I hit a ball long or short or with the wrong spin or whatever in normal play, I can make the necessary adjustments to then hit it a bit deeper or shorter or more of an angle, whatever I want to do, I feel I can make those adjustments. And so obviously there's a degree to which one warms up and gets more comfortable on the court. But basically I'm going through that feeling process. And as long as I don't get in my own way, I'll, I'll typically get better during a match and, and my, you know, my ability to play will come through. Yep. And either it would be good enough or not good enough. Yep. And that's fine. Um, but if I'm if my serve isn't right, yep. I don't have the confidence in being able to feel it to make those adjustments. And I'm then stuck. What the bloody hell do I do? I've got no way out. I can't, you know what I mean? It's, yes. a, it's a suffocating feeling at that point. Yep. And because everything else feels, you know, I know I can sort everything else out. For myself, yep. it's, it's incredibly frustrating that that thing I can't. Right. Uh, you know, as I say, it's, it's wrapped up in a combination of bad experiences, and so it's become, you know, a mental and physical thing. And, Absolutely. And everything it breaks down then. So any fluency breaks down. Right. So I am getting a quick hit that you've had this idea that you're not a very good server for a while. That's right. How long has that been? 25 years. <laughs> That's what I thought. It's exactly what I thought. And let me tell you the clue when you said, I, in the returns, I feel like I can, whatever. And with the serves, I don't feel like I can't. So um, those are feelings that come from programs. Those are not literally bodily movement feelings. Feelings. So that's when I heard that, I go, oh, we've got a program there that says we're not a good server. And so when you get out there, maybe here, here and there you have decent serves. And then you go, oh, well, temporarily today, this moment I'm good, so I can override that for the moment. But you have this overall big picture I'm not a good server, which started back way back 25 years ago or whatever, and you reinforce it every time. You don't serve well, which every tennis player has. At times, even the best servers have times where they're just not serving well. But you reinforced a, 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 an overriding belief, I'm just not a good server. Yeah, I, I always struggle with it, Craig, and I think that some of it is physical, as I say. What do you mean physical? I when I say I don't feel it, I, I, I do mean I don't feel it physically as well. You know, you know feeling a shot such that you can make an adjustment. Yep, 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 so, yep. Um, and then I get to the point where I'm, I'm compensating and I feel, okay, it's all right, it's good enough, it gets me in the point, and I'll rely on everything else 
and if everything else is good enough, I've got a chance, you know, um, it's an adequate thing. And that gets me a fair way, but it doesn't get me where I want to get to. <laughs> well, why today, if you have a, a bad set where you're not serving well, what would you say is the cause of that not serving well in general or, or most often? Um, I, lack of fluency on, on the shot and, and then, then a deterioration in, in the ability to be fluent during in a match situation. Okay. So does that mean when you're not serving well, uh, you're more tight? You're more stiff? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. So anytime we're talking about a stiff, tight, nervousness, those are fear responses. Yes. So we're afraid all of a sudden the old um, fail on serving is showing up. Here it is again. And all it takes is maybe just two bad serves in a row, two missed points in a row, and boom, we re-trigger that whole program that says I'm not a good server. And we get ten, tense and a slight, it's not even have to be that that much. It just can be very subtle and there goes your serve, right? And then the whole thing just snowballs. But it's all it all comes from a, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Terry, it all comes from a, I'm not a good server. I don't serve well. I, that's just not what I, I'm not good at it. It won't get, if that's not there, if you miss a couple, three serves in a row, like someone who believes they're a great server, it won't affect them. It won't affect them at all. But if you have that program, I'm not a good server, it's going to affect you tremendously. And it's going to snowball. And you're just going to re-trigger that, that neural connection that, that's all about, I'm not a good server. And I'm afraid that my serve is going to destroy my match here. And so you get tense and tight. And it might be localized or contextualized to just serving, which is very, um, I can totally understand it. I've seen all kinds of um, contextual situations in sports, even dynamic sports like tennis, which means in plain language, you can still do wonderful and returns and the rest of your game. But all of a sudden, the, the serve is out the window. So we have to antidote, I'm not a good server, bottom line. That's what I see. Because that's what's, that's what's tightening your body up. Your unconscious mind runs your body. And it's just running a program that if you have a couple, three bad serves or whatever the number is, I don't know. It says, oh, we got to run that program right now because we're not a, we're not a good server. And the, the, the end part of that program from what I'm hearing, which is very common, which is, oh, no, my serve's going to ruin my match here today. So that's the tense tight. That's where the fear response comes. Does that make sense? Yeah. It sounds a bit like golf as well. It's like the tee shots. Totally. It's very similar. Golf and tennis are very similar. Yeah. And the the tennis serve is a spastic thing. It's not reactive. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I would encourage you, Terry, to... When I would encourage you to go back to when you think you first started um, 
coming to that idea that I'm not a good server. Do you remember anything around that? Uh, I, I think my technique deteriorated when I got a shoulder injury when I was a junior. Very common. And uh, led to some bad habits and, you know, triggered some bad response and off we go. There you go. And, you know, oh my goodness, this happens all the time with injuries where not only do you have to maybe reconfigure your body to get around this injury while you're healing, but in your mind, during the period where you're injured, you're, you're, you're going, especially as kids, since I work with so many kids, you're, you're thinking things like, oh no, will I ever be able to serve good again? I don't know if I'll ever be able to be like I was before. Those are the kind of thoughts you have while you're injured. Because injuries take months sometimes to, to heal properly. And the whole time, it's literally physically interfering with your being able to do what you know how to do. And, and you got months of thinking, I don't know if I'll ever get my serve back. I don't know if I can, oh, this is just, you know, this is bad, bad, bad. Oh, and, and I'm in a bad way. And I'm, what am I going to have to do? And, and, and it's just months of just thinking negatively about whatever whatever that injury is messing with. And then, boom, by the time you come back, you've implanted this solid program that says, well, I'll never be as good a server as I, as I was before, or some variation of that, I'm not a good server. So what I would recommend you do in, in the, the self-visualizations or the mental practices is get is go to that, those, that time when you first had these problems back when you were a junior. And literally, I advise my clients to literally talk to themselves as a junior. And what would you say to a junior who just got injured and who had a decent um, serve and he's injured and he goes, Coach, I, I'm really worried that this is going to mess up my serve. I don't know how long. It just feels like this is never going to heal. I remember um, breaking my collarbone. It took like a year for that thing to come back. And that's a long time to be thinking about the destruction in your body there with regards to your sport. That's a long time to reinforce and implant a belief like this. And it's very common. I see it all the time. So I'd be going back and talking to your teenage self who had that who has that injury and I'd be doing little mini men, mental visualizations to undo the belief that you created back then and so the antidote would be things like uh, Craig I'm going to say Craig Craig that shoulder you're going to get over it it's no big deal it's going to take a while um, but you are going to be just as good as before when you're done. In fact, you're going to be better. So yes, for the period of time while you're healing, this is difficult for you, fine. But I want you to know, this will have zero effect on, on your golf game, your golf swing, or anything. In fact, it's going to actually help you become more mentally tough. So I want you to know that you are an excellent driver or, or server. You always will be. This injury means nothing except you're going to become men more mentally tough because of it. I would, con you are a good server, here's why. And then we pile on 
all the reasons why you're a good servant. Well, you were great in that last match against that other junior last year. You destroyed that kid. Your serve is there. It's going to be there when you heal. It's going to be there the rest of your life. And so the metaphor of, of literally, I imagine talking to my younger self, the metaphor of that is what helps us reach the unconscious nervous system, the unconscious collection of nerves that are holding this belief. Metaphor helps us activate that part of our mind. And the metaphor of talking to yourself helps you do that. And the actual antidote is to undo with what you as a junior said to yourself and believed. And it's totally, um, I can totally understand why any kid would think that. It's totally normal. But the problem is it creates like this little virus that lives inside you forever and triggers that, that tension and that tightness even today. It's really insidious how it, it just comes back and bites you out of nowhere. What do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, agree with you. I really think, I, this is where you're going to have to find your relentless. I really believe you're just going to have to trust me. And, you know, this is what I offer all my clients and all anybody's listening to this. I have this experience with countless athletes of helping them clear stuff like that. Now, you don't have that experience. I get that. But you can borrow my confidence on that. That's my value here is to provide that. I've just gone through this, seen people, found out the, the, the core issue of what is causing the body to do that. Yes, it is physical. Everything results in physical, but the cause is something in the nervous system, the mind. The mind is the entire body, including the, the nervous system. So yes, it's physical, but you're not going to fix the problem using physical fixes. You have to go to the nervous system belief program that's causing all this. It's, it's simple cause and effect. So I would be just relentless on, you know what? That makes sense to me. Or if it doesn't, I want you to question me and challenge me and say, and tell me why it doesn't and let me help you on that. And I'll get rid of all those why nots so that all you're left with is, yeah, I can see this is it. And you know what? It's, every once in a while, I have clients who go, you know, Craig, uh, I think you're missing something on, on me here. Blah, 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 blah. I go, hmm, okay, well, you didn't tell me that before. That puts a little um, uh, nuance to this, and let's address that. And that's, again, my value here. I'm happy to do that. You just got to go, if everything I'm saying make, makes perfect sense, I'm, I'm boxing you into going forward, clear that baby, and your serves are going to come alive. They'll be just as consistent. You'll have the same thought process as you do in, in the rest of your game. And it'll be a non-issue when you miss three or four in a row. It'll mean nothing. Just like someone who believes they have great serves and are a great server. It was whatever. That's just, that's just the game of tennis. Right? Yeah. Can, I, can I ask? Please, ask. Can I ask another question? I don't yes. want to dominate this session. No, it's cool. we we'll, we got plenty of time. Um, yeah, I get all that. And that, that's great. I think for me it leads on to uh, uh, something I think I suffer with, which is uh, you know I think this this perfection thing, um, so that 
I can physically do the other things in tennis. I, I mean, I play a lot of soccer as well, and I can physically do the things in soccer. Um, you know, I still compete in soccer. I don't have the, any mental problems in soccer. You know, if, I, if I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. It doesn't bother me. Right. I never really beat myself, or only in relatively minor ways. And part of that is because I have no hang-ups with technique or whatever. Whereas, although I'm playing tennis at a higher level, because I've got a, te- a hang-up on my a particular technique, it, it gets to me in the way that I can be on court and feel like I don't deserve to win. Do you, do you see what I mean? Because I, I feel... I don't have that feeling, even though I'm, I'm, I'm playing a lower level of another sport, because I don't feel anyone else deserves to win any more than me when I'm in that game. You do, so the, the perfectionist thing kind of um, undermine, undermines my, my performance, if that makes sense. It does. You want to turn your perfectionist tendency and drive and desire to your advantage. What does that mean? perfectly follow what I'm saying and destroy the belief program. I'm telling you, this is a perfect opportunity to use your perfectionist tendencies in a straight line going right to the core of this issue to destroy it, eliminate it, and to feel free to question me on the logic, the rational, the rationality, or any of it, any of the solution I've, I've prescribed for you here. Use that to your advantage. You, that means I will perfectly do um, a guided visualization five times, a, a, a self-visualization five times a day with my, uh, with my younger self to disabuse him of any idea that his serve is going to suffer at all because of this injury. I am going to continue to reinforce every time um, uh, that I've ever had a great uh, match where I was serving well, that this is who I am, this is what I do, this is what I'm capable of, and I am a good server. Proof right there. I'm going to perfectly follow the path that I see that's going to get me from A to Z. And Z is being an amazing server. And you want to just work on one area of your game at a time. And if you're telling me serving is your biggest issue, then I would just put everything else aside and deal with that and clear that. And you'll get, that's the 80-20, the, you know, the, the, get the biggest bang for your mental buck here. Yeah. You, I, I've laid out the plan, the roadmap, to get you out of the, the dark tunnel of the not having consistent serves. And I've given you the flashlight and the map to get out of this tunnel. Use that perfectionist tendency to use the map, follow the light, take the right turns, and get yourself out of that tunnel. Okay. Every one of our personality parts, let's say it's a perfectionist tendency is one of them, they're not good and they're not bad. You know? Every single one of our personality parts, they just are. And in context or in certain situations, they're going to be useful or not useful. Yes, somebody who, whose perfectionist tendency, and we all have a little bit of that to some degree, some more than others, 
If that is allowed to run us 100% completely, yeah, it can really destroy you. I've seen this all the time. Someone who's just wound up tight into perfection, and if I don't get perfection, well, the world will come to an end. What do they do? They create fear, tension, worry, anxiety about not being perfect. However, somebody who's got that managed and it's not overwhelming them and it's not their dominant program, it's going to be very useful. Like I kind of laid out for you. So never think, I mean, I'll take one of my, one of the most destructive parts of us is what I call the victim. All right. So this is the opposite of being relentless just to make a point here. And, and this is a really powerful point for all athletes. I'm always talking about being relentless, believing that you can change, believing that whatever's in your way, you can get rid of it. That's that's the relentless. Now, the opposite side of that is the victim. And we all have this too. So the victim says, oh, I can't change. I'm screwed. This is just the way I am. Woe is me. Why me? Why was I born with this body or this mind that won't do what I want it to do? That's the victim. Now, as as destructive as that sounds, the victim isn't good or bad either. The victim actually has some powerful um, uh, benefits. Just to, and I'm using one of the most destructive ones to illustrate what I'm saying here. And the benefit of a victim is that the victim goes and gets help. If it weren't for our victim, we wouldn't go seek help from our problems. Victim is the one that cries out for help. So the victim is useful too. But we don't want to live in victim. We're not going to get anything done in life. Does that make sense for the... I, I kind of went off a little tangent there on the, the personality parts when you mentioned perfectionists. Um, but use it. Manage it. Direct your perfectionist tendencies where it's going to be useful for you. Okay. Um, in the soccer, uh, you didn't tell me much about um, your football soccer experiences, but I'm guessing that there just isn't the importance attached to your participation in, in soccer as there is in tennis. Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, I just uh, got in, I played alone when I was a kid. In fact, uh, I taught soccer in the States when I was about, when I was late teens. Um, and um, I didn't do it as an adult because I went to uh, the wrong kind of education in the UK. You know, I had a good education. You need a lousy one to play soccer over here, really. Um, and I got into it, you know, five or six years ago, just for a bit of fun. But because I'm competitive, I got going. I joined a club. And last season, I got voted players player of the, of the season, you know. A lot of it's taking my tennis skills into soccer. I can see that. <laughs> I've got the ball skill. You know, this is something that you realise tennis tennis helps you so much with. And um, mentally, I just treated it like I was a kid. I just went out there and had fun. Uh, I work on taking a childlike attitude into every game. People tell me it's important and, you know, we must win and this guy's good. I really take no notice at all. I just try and enjoy myself, and it, and it works great in football. It also has a, the interesting thing I would say is it has a more powerful effect in the team thing because it, it 
definitely, definitely positively affects teammates and it negatively affects opponents if you um, give the air of enjoying yourself and being comfortable. Absolutely. You know, people don't like to see it. The male egos come in and it, it causes havoc with them, you know. Yep. So it's a very powerful thing. And most people, I think, in soccer, certainly in England, their mental attitude is bad. You know, they're out of control a little bit. Um, there's a lot of bad language and poor behavior and swear. It's, it's a funny thing. I think there's a huge room for improvement. You know, if you want to come over here, there's plenty of work for you to stop <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I want to highlight something you said that was really profound. Um, and I hadn't thought about it in quite a while, but even in tennis, what if... Your dad, you just, your opponent just came back from five to one and beat you six to five. And you're smiling. You're still smiling like you're going to go into this next set and destroy him. That's going to, if anything, that's going to unnerve him. Like, what is up with this guy? He doesn't even realize I just crushed him. You know, no, when, no, no question. That's the best mental attitude, I believe. Exactly, no yeah. I'm very frustrated with myself. I'm not always able to be in that frame of mind on the tennis court. Well, we're, out, we're on to something here that you're, you have the ability to do it over there um, and inconsistently over here. So let's find out what the roadblock is there and prescribe an antidote for that. Anything come up right off the bat? What do you mean, sorry? As far as the over in soccer, I have this attitude of just going out there and loving what I'm doing and the childlike attitude and, and it works and it even unnerves the, the opponents and I it just everything works. That whole thing works for me over in soccer and it's not really in tennis. Why not? It's, it's a little bit this perfectionist thing. It's when I get going at soccer, I settle in. I don't feel I've got any weaknesses. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the ball. And I more or less say to the other guy, anyone around, you know, my opponents, you know, come and beat me. I, I played against um, an England player last week and I was totally comfortable playing against him. In fact, you know, inwardly I was thinking, I, I could be better than you. I'm not because I'm too old and everything else. Mm -hmm. But I had very positive mental feelings, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting carried away here, but it's a, it's a very interesting topic to me. Well, Whereas I go on the tennis court, uh, yeah, I do get those feelings and I often get, you know, yeah, you've got to remember, Craig, when I go into a competition, I am actually playing very good people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. The, guy, sure. the guys I, uh, I lost to, Guys I lost to this year in the UK are ranked very, very high. So they are good athletically. Yep. I don't have such an athletic advantage over them. So everything's got to be working for me to do that. I do believe I can do it, but I've got to feel comfortable. And so I come back to my serve, take this away, that feeling of comfort that I have in soccer, and so, it's marginal, it's marginal, yep. but as, you, as you've said, as you go up the levels, those margins become finer, and you need to make sure that you don't, you know, 
take yourself backwards in any way. Right. Uh, you've only got to take yourself backwards a little bit, and the other guy will take advantage of that. Absolutely. So I want you to pretend for a moment that you can speak for your perfectionist. Pretend there's a perfectionist part of you that can speak. I want to talk to him for a second. So, Terry's perfectionist. Where do you? What, what are you thinking when you're out there on the soccer pitch? What do you? What, what are you doing out there? I'm just just trying to enjoy myself. It's as simple as that. No, you're the I'm, part. I'm no, trying, no, no. I'm trying, technically, I'm trying to watch the ball. You know, I'm trying to bring my tennis awareness into the play. So. I will execute and I will just, anything I feel slightly, um, I haven't maybe done it as much as someone else, I will focus on the technique, I will watch the ball. I, I won't, you know, I, I'm focusing on the process rather than, and I'm, I'm trying to put winning out of my mind as much as possible. Uh, the team I play for is not great, so that helps, I think, because I'm not thinking that we're going to win, I'm just thinking about make the biggest contribution I can to the team, enjoy the thing as much as possible, uh, and it leads to good things. It leads well, to good things. I, I, heard, I heard a number of personality parts in your what you just said, and if I were to speak specifically to the perfectionist part of you, that, that's the part that only cares about perfection and nothing else. It doesn't care about having fun. It doesn't care about all those wonderful things that you injected in. It only cares about perfection. And if I were to talk to him purely, it would say, you know what, I don't, I'm guessing, you tell me, you know what, I really don't feel I'm needed there in the soccer pitch. Is that true? I'm not sure. I'm not with you. Sorry. All right. So let me explain personality parts a little bit. So we all have personality parts. This is not multiple personalities. That's unhealthy. That's mental illness. We all have personality parts. We have a part that likes to have fun. We have a part that's hard driven to succeed. We have a part that um, uh, if you want to go into other areas outside of sports, we have a, a part that's interested in relationships. We have a part that's interested maybe in art. We have a part that's interested in fun. We have a part that's interested, I could go on and on. Now, with regard to sport, you got a perfectionist part. You got another part that knows how to just enjoy and have fun. And you have another part that... Um, um, what else do we have out there? We have a part that is um, afraid of failure, but that part's not there in, in soccer. It doesn't feel like it needs to show up in soccer to protect you from failure. And the perfectionist part, which works with the part of failure, uh, the fear of failure part, he doesn't show up there in soccer either. But he shows up in tennis. He thinks he needs to take control of things. It's a little easier in soccer because you can hide a little bit more. Not that I do hide, but it, you, you know what I'm saying? It's a yeah. team. Yep. Uh, there's less pressure on you immediately. Tennis is, is, a, is a very high-pressure environment. It's one-on-one. No one can help you. You know, it, it's, um, it, it's pretty brutal mentally. Right. Um, so it, it, it's no question in my mind it's harder mentally. So the perfectionist part kicks in when it thinks there's heavy pressure. Yeah. Jumps in and says, oh, 
Terry's got a lot of pressure, so he needs me, so here I come. I'm going to make sure he does everything perfect. In tennis, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Doesn't He doesn't need me in soccer because, well, there's a, 10 other guys out there, and I found that just uh, playing fluent and, and fun and childlike works for me, and it, and it makes me a, an excellent soccer player. So... I'm just gonna leave him be over there on the soccer pitch. Yeah, and maybe I would start to feel the same emotions in soccer if I better players who are able to put me under the same kind of uh, you, you know to, to take advantage of my show me up on the football field if you like. Okay, so we're making distinctions of our environment on the soccer versus tennis. And those distinctions are determining whether Mr. Perfection comes out and tries to do everything for you. Right? Yeah. So, we need to convince Mr. Perfectionism. Uh, we need to teach him. We need to talk to him. We need to communicate to him where and how, if anything, he is valuable in the tennis court. Because he's clearly overdoing things in the tennis court. He's creating tension and tightness and trying to control things and guide shots that never works in tennis. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And when things don't go well, he gets angry or he gets fearful that it's going to lead to more non-perfection. And he actually is the interference over there in tennis. You see that? So the the metaphor... Uh, to help you bring over so- your attitude in soccer over to the tennis court is to imagine talking to a Mr. Perfection and convince him where he convince him why you don't need him or what you do need him for on the tennis court. I don't know that you need him at all. Like Mr. Perfection is really good and useful in practice and drills and training. Yeah, that's where they are extremely useful. Performance is ultimately always comes down to internal communication. And I, and I give you another metaphor where you can transfer your great confident feelings over from soccer. Because they're there. They're, you have that ability. You're there. You do it over there. There's no reason you can't pull it over here except Mr. Perfection jumps in and is going to try to save the day whenever there's heavy-duty pressure on the tennis court. But the truth is, he's not helping you out. He's creating tension, tightness, and nervousness, and, and fear of making mistakes, and actually creating the problems that he's trying to solve. Do, when, you play, when you compete in, in a, a sport, do you carry more anxiety early on because you're more likely to make mistakes as you sort of warm, warm up in the game process? Um... Or uh, how do you deal with that? that for me personally, um, I, I'm more like the average person who gets more tense when it comes down to crunch time. But the solution to that in the moment, in competition, is how we represent those moments to ourselves. So here's what I mean. So I'm, um, let's say, I don't compete much anymore, but every once in a while I do a scramble. In golf, that means um, 
you're on a team of four golfers and uh, you're, you're, you know, it can come down to you making this putt for your team. And so that'd be about the most pressure I've experienced in the last five years. But, you know, I experienced I experience the feelings of, whoa, I want this bet and we need this for the team and everybody's counting on me and the whole bit. And so my body tends to do what everybody else's does because this is important to me. But what, but what the key here is I don't represent those feelings as bad, as interference. I represent them to myself. I tell myself in the moment, Woo, this is great. Wow, I'm feeling stuff. This is why I do this golf, man. This is why um, I do these scrambles. I could just go out on a Sunday and, and, and just play for fun all by myself and not score. But no, I'm out here doing a, a, a semi-competitive thing for the purpose of these feelings. This is awesome. Where most people go, pressure. Oh, no. Like, uh, I don't know if I can do this while I'm shaking in my shoes. So that's more important than trying to figure out when and where you get, you get the more feelings of pressure, stress, tension, whatever. It's rep- what you think about those feelings in the moment that's going to allow you to perform with them. That's where I come in with my and world. It's an and world. It's like, wow, woo, I'm feeling these chemicals right now. Woo, we got a six-foot putt. Everybody's counting me. This is great. And I'm sinking it while my knees are shaking. Right. That's probably the most important thing you can do in those moments because your nervous system is triggered. And it's triggered the chemicals. The chemicals are rushing through your body and you're feeling stuff. There's nothing you can do about that. They're there. As far as the chemicals, the best thing you can do is what you think about them. And then continue off the court to release the triggers that cause them to be to go off on the court like the the I'm not a good server one okay and then you won't get the triggered chemicals now I get the triggered chemicals when I do that scramble situation because I want them this is great I mean I, I literally uh, when I play my son, I, I could go out and my son and I could have a great time having a beer and playing golf. And, but you know what? We like to put 20 bucks on the line just to feel those chemicals. So I want those chemicals. That's why it's easy for me to think that. Yeah. <laughs> I purposely put money online to feel those chemicals and the 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 greater the meaning the the you know if it comes down to the end of the game and we're close oh that's the that's it that's why we play and so I'm not going oh no oh this sucks oh, oh. no I'm going woo <laughs> this is awesome yeah good questions. You got any more like that? Those are really deep and very good awareness. Uh, as, the, uh, as the other guy was on, this, he was asking about his visualization. Did he get cheesed off with this conversation? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I got to talk to him a little bit before. 
And I asked him if he had anything. He, I've had people uh, pop on and off on these. They just like to listen and, and just kind of hear, and they learn from others. So um, don't feel bad about that at all. We, we learn from others. Yeah. Uh, I think this is uh, it's, it's, it's very good stuff, and it's very applicable to me. And the thing for me is to just uh, work through applying these things. Uh, I think I can clear my head in uh, on the tennis court and uh, I've just got to I've just got to do it yes uh, there you, you know? that's relentless that's a statement of relentless I'm just going to do it end of story and you have no expectations of when this problem will be solved or the next one but you will not quit until it's done and it's gone and I promise you it will it could go next week. It could go tomorrow. It might take three months. I don't, that's the only thing I don't know. Yeah. And if you do not have those expectations, typically it goes faster. <laughs> the expectations are what keep it going because you fear that um, this isn't going to work. And if you, you destroy your own relentless with that kind of thought. And you stop your own progress. So it's just like you got to have the attitude of, all right, oh, wow, cool. Got the mess. I see what I need to do. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. I need to do, I need to reach my unconscious mind. Craig gave me this, this metaphor that's going to help me do that. And the antidote that I need to tell myself when I'm connected that way. And I need to undo the programs for um, the thing that's blocked me from bringing my awesome, confident, childlike attitude that I have on soccer now over to tennis because Mr. Perfection really isn't needed out there while I'm playing. He's wonderful and valuable while I'm training and drilling and devising strategy and listening to coaches and instructors and everything I need to do outside of competition. And I highly value him and I'm going to let him go crazy in those times. But in competition, no, it's time to have the childlike part of me take over. And I'm going yeah. to start playing there. And Mr. Mr. Perfection, I know what you want for me. You want me to win. They all, all our parts want what's good for us. They just think their way is the way to do it. And you just got to go, Mr. Perfection, in this case, you're not really helpful out there on the court in competition. Do your thing before competition. I love you. Thank you. Keep at it. But you're not helping. You're actually creating problems. You're actually hurting the thing you say you want for me. The guy that runs us over in soccer, that's the guy that I need in the match. Yeah. That's yeah. the guy that works for us. And, we, and you know it. You've seen it. Here's proof. The last time you tried to uh, take over for me in that last match, we tanked. And it's because you got me all tight and tense. And you thought thinking about some mechanical thing out there was the way to go. We don't do that in soccer, and look what we do in soccer. So do your thing when we're not in the match. Love you. Thank you for doing that for him, but you're not needed in, the, uh, in competition. Over there, I want Mr. Fluent. Well, Craig, where does the, the, oh, the over-concern about winning come from? Um, I mean, you say that we learn these beliefs. I mean, I, I remember being wound up about winning when I was very young. And, I, 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 you know, where did that come from? What, why did I pick up that sort of nervousness around caring about the result? 
because we associate winning with our self-worth. Winning equals self-worth. Winning equals my identity as a person and my worth as a person. And we're, we're taught that. We're taught that over and over and over as, as kids in youth sports. And what do we, when we're a kid, we don't have any other self-worth. It's really hard for kids to feel confident about who they are just because they are a person. Now, as we grow older, we learn um, to base our self-worth on a lot more. You know, hey, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a career person, I'm an athlete, I'm all this stuff. And oh yeah, and some people even throw in, I'm, I have my self-worth just from my religion. I get enough there. But kids, man, they're just struggling to find their self-worth. And so some coach comes around and uh, you win and the coach is, oh, you're amazing. And everybody pays attention to you and congratulates you. And so you go, oh, I'm now worth a lot because I won. Or even if you don't win, you watch other people win. You see, they get all kinds of accolades. And so we have this, this what's the word, this vacuum of no self-worth as, as teens and, and, and middle schoolers. And, we, and we're desperately trying to find what that is. So how, I mean, how do you help a kid then to kind of dilute that, to be able to perform his best? Help them find other things that define them for self-worth. Um, in the confidence program, I don't know if you went through that, that's pretty much what I do in that whole thing. I got a whole list of tools. This is what I do well. These are the things I've done. This is, um, you know, I'm smart. I'm, I, I, I'm intelligent. I'm, I'm a good listener. I'm a good friend. I'm a good this. I'm a good that. And then we developed this huge list. And so compared to the, this huge list, compared to whether or not I win this match or this game is nothing. Because this is always going to be there. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It's a physical list on a piece of paper. And you can't deny it. <laughs> and so the hope, my hope is that it, they, they can just glom onto it. They just hold on to it. Like, that's your self-worth for now. You got skills, abilities, and talents. You've proven it. You've shown it. You know, and we do this naturally. Most of us, healthy adults, uh, and there's plenty of adults who don't ever, and they have problems, and they go to, you know, alcohol and things like that. When they can't solve that, what am I worth as a human being? And, and our Western societies place huge value on winning and performing. And so we go, well, there's a way for me to get self-worth. So they overdo it, as you said. Okay. Great. Running out of excuses. <laughs> Good. I like to say, I said this last night, when I work with people, what, what I, it's kind of like I'm, I box people in, I gather them in, and then I, I'm like the arms here. I'm like the guide. And then you're forced to go this way. You're out of excuses. You tried to go this way, and you go this way, and I keep boxing you in, and now you're moving forward. Now you have no choice but to go this way. Out of excuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So work those two metaphors. That's what I would do if I was you. So you're going to get to the, you're going to just, man, you will just see huge um, chunks of improvement by destroying those two blocking programs. One about yeah. the perfectionist who, seem, who thinks he needs to show up on the court and the other one about the I'm not a good server. Yeah. Destroy yeah. those and oh my gosh, huge leaps you'll, you'll have. That's great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Okay, cool. Um, uh, we covered a lot of good stuff here about visualization along the line. So um, I'm pretty happy with the way um, the hour went. And this is a good teaching for others that I'll post up there. And uh, any, any last questions or anything, Terry? No, that's been great. Thank you. And thank you for being brave enough to talk about this stuff because lots of people, they want to learn just by, you know, checking in and listening to others and, and don't underestimate that value. I, I've heard it a number of times. So thank okay. you, and you're helping others. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, let's call it a day. Okay, all best. Cheers. Okay, take care. If you want to catapult yourself to the next level of success, you need to take the Mental Block Quiz to find out what is holding you back from your greatness and the specific solution for you to clear it. Visit sportsmentaltoughness.com to take the quiz.